And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today is Tuesday, September 7th. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Shio Kapadia. Shio, how you doing, buddy? Good. When I, when I heard you say on one of the uh, last pods that you're a creature of habit, I was like, hey, yeah, that's right. I think I did the NFC East last year, too. So I think whether whether by design or not, we're, we're back a year later to talk about, I mean, the best the best division in football. I think there's not even an argument against it. You know how they talk about coaches and how I, it's, a, it's a good joke. It's early. It's, it's, it's early on Labor Day Monday. That's, that's, it is a good joke, though. You know, they talk about coaches and they talk about how flexibility and adaptability is the most important thing. I would be yeah. a terrible football coach. <laughs> I think that's going to apply to probably some of these guys we're talking about today. So good setup. You are back to talk about the NFC East. A lot to dig into here. We were talking about this before the show. The team that I've thought about the least, which we'll get to, is the team you think about the most. So that's why I'm very glad that you're here to do this with me. <laughs> Let's talk about this, though. I Again, I've set these up loosely in the order I think that the teams will finish. You can make an argument for a couple different teams in this division. We'll dig into that. Let's start with the Dallas Cowboys, though. They're the betting favorites in most places. You lay out. You, you, in your playbook, which you've done for The Athletic, and people have not gone and checked it out, you dove into all 32 teams, what they did situationally against certain coverages, out of certain formations, passing the ball, running the ball. It's a ton of great information. If people have not checked it out, please do. At the top of your Cowboys section, you lay out a fairly simple plan and set of goals for this team. Their path to the division title hints on the return of Dak Prescott fixing their offense and the arrival of Dan Quinn doing more with less on their defense. That's really it. Like that is the story yeah. of this team and it doesn't get any more complicated than that. Yeah, it, it I yeah, it's pretty simple. You know, it's like all right, if the offense can be what it was 2 years ago or you know, even not that good but sort of in that neighborhood of top 5, top, top 8 five. offense. Yeah, in the NFL and I think the pieces are there. If you just look on paper compared to every other offense in the NFL, the pieces are certainly there to do that. And then defensively, you know, it's the formula we see every year. Great offense plus mediocre defense. <laughs> probably like playing on the, in the second round of the playoffs. You know, you're probably going to be in there. You're going to win double-digit games. And so uh, the question is, uh, on defense, can you get to mediocrity? Because, you know, there are some areas of that defense that aren't pretty. How much can Dan Quinn do? What, what should we expect based on his history? And so those are some of the, the key questions, I think, with this team. So let's get to the defense in a second. Let's start with the offense just talk about why there's so much optimism surrounding this group. And I think it's obvious. Like The component parts are there for them to be a really good unit. We saw it in flashes last year before Dak Prescott got hurt. You had them as a borderline top five offense over those first four games and change when he was playing. And they returned every major piece from that group, plus some reinforcements, right? They lost Tyron Smith for most of the season last year, which that might just be how things work at, at this stage in 2021, even though he has said that his back feels much, much better. 
Lyle, Lyle Collins, the right tackle, missed the entire season last year. They're going to miss Zach Martin at the beginning of the year because of COVID, which is a bummer against the Bucs, but he's back. Some interior questions, but for the most part, we like the offensive line. Arguably the best three receiver set in the NFL right now, especially if C.D. Lamb can take a step forward. Zeke wasn't great last year, but he's still a pretty good running back. You have Tony Pollard and you get Dak Prescott, who where do you stand on Dak? I, on this show, we just talk about him like he's a top five quarterback. Where do you stand on him? Just where he ranks like the pecking order of NFL passers right now. Yeah, no, I, I'm there. I'm, I'm in the, okay. you know, All whatever, right. good, five, good. five to 10 range. I, I think I just want that, you know, the shoulder. Makes things easier done, here. Yeah, if we would have <laughs> done this a month ago, you know, I probably would have come in and been really bullish and, hey, this team, you know, can maybe win uh, 11, 12 games or whatever. The shoulder thing hangs over everything, right? I mean, he's coming off a major ankle injury and now you just, we, we won't know until, well, I, I guess it's coming up soon. Now I'm kind of excited. You know, it's what, four days, I guess we'll know <laughs> how that shoulder looks when, when Todd Bowles is going to throw everything at him and he's going to be tested and we'll see what that arm looks like. We'll see what his, his movement looks like. But if the shoulder is healthy, I have no doubts, no, no concerns about him. So I think it's easier at this point to talk about the reasons the Cowboys won't be a top five offense because we leave, believe so much in the talent. So obviously Dak's health is number one. If there's any lingering issues with his mobility from the ankle or that shoulder persists, that's going to be a problem. Where else are you concerned about this offense? Are there other areas where you're like, eh, this gives me pause, even if I'm excited about the pieces here? Yeah, I would say there are probably two things. One would be, you know, if your offensive line gets crushed by injuries again, obviously, right? That That is not the most likely outcome. I think they had the second most injured offensive line in the NFL last year, according to Football Outsiders. Adjusted games lost. I mean, getting two games out of your starting tackles, like pretty not much good. no Typically team in the good. NFL. Yeah, no, no team in the NFL can withstand that. But like you mentioned, I mean, Tyron Smith, you know, he's missed th- at least three games in the last five seasons. So, if, if he misses three games, that's okay. You just want to avoid those season enders. So that would be one, you know, if you get crushed up front offensively. And the other one, I, I think we joked about it last time I was on, and but there was probably some truth in, in the joking. And that is, you know, I don't know where this head coach gives them an edge. You know, let's say they start out slow and Mike McCarthy says, you know, hey, Kellen Moore, why don't, let's do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and let me get my fingerprints on this offense. Like, I don't want that. You know, I want Kellen Moore get in that offensive meeting room, lock the door, uh, Mike McCarthy, go do something else and let let Kellen Moore just sort of come up with the ideas for this offense along with Dak Prescott who uh, I know Nate's talked about this a lot but probably doesn't get enough credit for uh, his smarts and what he does before the snap like I just want those two uh, coming up with all the ideas the concepts the game planning uh, for this offense and and not having an issue where you get off to a slow start and now you're making changes that might not be necessary because you're reacting to those things. I think those two areas are perfect, and that's where I would have concerns as well. You can make an argument that they're better in those two areas, or at least better set up in those two areas than they were last season, right? They go get Ty Nasecki as their swing tackle in free agency. I thought they should have traded for him last year (laughs) openly on this podcast. (laughs) The fact that he ended up there was interesting and kind of funny. So you hope you fortify that spot and you get fewer Terrence Steele snaps if one of these guys is to get hurt. I don't even know if he's still on the roster, but a Terrence Steele type getting snaps <laughs> yeah. is the swing tackle. On offense, I even when they were good last year, we've talked about this on the show before, I still was a little bit frustrated how static everything could look at times. You have receivers in static spots. Nobody's really changing where they're lining up. The way they use motion is not that interesting to me. A lot of stop routes, a lot of curls, remnants of a version of the Dallas offense that we were not excited about during the Jason Garrett era. Now you have a full offseason. 
you don't have a truncated Zoom pandemic offseason. You're starting over. Now, you're not starting over. You have all the same players. Can you build on things? Can you fold in some stuff that they didn't have last year? Can this just be a more dynamic offense overall? So those are the two areas where I'm a little bit worried, but I think you could talk yourself into it being better in both of those spots heading into year two of the staff. Yeah, and the the other thing you mentioned with the you know wide receivers where they're going to line up just from a talent perspective, you know, two years ago they're second in offensive efficiency, and now you're replacing essentially Randall Cobb with C.D. Lamb when you look at you know them in eleven personnel, yeah. like you know that uh, just that alone could be a you know Randall Cobb was pretty good that year, but you know C.D. Lamb, I think his ceiling and what he gives this offense as a ceiling, uh, that's what you would be excited about if you're a Cowboys fan. I, like, I want to see Amari Cooper in the slot. I want to see CeeDee Lamb outside. Just make it yeah. harder. J- just make it harder on the right. defense, like just in little tiny ways. One note you had in your playbook that I thought was so interesting is that the Cowboys were actually worse with play action when Prescott was on the field than they were without play action, which certainly makes them ex- an exception in the NFL. I mean, very few teams actually follow through on that idea where they're worse with play action. So I wonder if that's just like a quirk because he didn't play very much, if that's a longstanding thing and how that plays out this year. Because I would like to see them do more of the things that we see teams like the Titans do, the Rams do. I just feel like Dak, his skill set lends to that sort of approach. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I think those numbers were not just last year. I think that was for Dak. I did the last two years to get a bigger Yeah, which is so weird. You know, it could be, you know, that stuff. Sometimes it's noisy. It kind of is an outline to, hey, let's keep an eye on this this year. You know, it would be no surprise if all of a sudden he came out and was tearing it up on play action. I I would say there's probably, I think, like a handful of guys in the league who you look at their numbers and, you know, they're just more efficient without play action. It's usually the uh, old guys, though. Right. It's like like Roethlisberger, Rivers, Bree. Like, don't so turn Dak, their back. Yeah. yeah so Dak, it, it's just, he's not like the other guys in that group, which is why right. I found it surprising. All yeah. right. Let's talk about the defense because <laughs> this is one of the stranger situations in the entire league. And I don't even mean that in a bad way, but you just look at the pieces and I'm just wondering how they're going to fit together. And just, I mean, they have 10 linebackers. So <laughs> but you look at the personnel on that side. It isn't great. Like their pass rush was fine in 2020. They had an acceptable pressure rate despite blitzing at a bottom 10 clip, but they didn't make many additions for this group. Like Randy Gregory is going to step into a bigger role with Alden Smith gone. Neville Gallimore is out for several weeks. He's already on IR. Tristan Hill was on the pup list. So for the most part, the front, we know it. We've seen it. These are the same guys. The linebacking group is where things get weird as hell. Yeah. Like Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith are still here. But then they went out and signed Keanu O'Neill. They drafted Micah Parsons with the 11th overall pick. Mike McCarthy came out this summer and said it's the best and deepest linebacker group that he's been around. I hope so. You have 10 of them. I, I just how this group shakes out and the roles they're going to play, I think is kind of indicative of the conversation around this defense as a whole. There's so much mystery about how they're going to be deployed, what it's going to look like and what that eventually means for how good this group can be. Yeah, I think if there were some rule that you had to play like four linebackers, you know, they just had like a throwback game where you have to play four off ball linebackers for every snap. I mean, they might be a top five unit. I, I don't know. They would, they would be pretty good, but it is a, it's a weirdly constructed roster. I mean, I think the pressure stats are sort of all over the place. I know in ESPN's, you know, their pass rush uh, win rate, I think they were 28th last year. And some of the other ones you mentioned, they were better than that. I have huge concerns about the pass rush. I mean, Randy Gregory played 25% of the snaps last season and was out of the foot, out of football in 2019. And now it's like, Oh, you know, we're good. We got Randy Gregory. Like how many snaps is he going to be able to, 
to play and, and perform. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence, I, I, you know, he's a great player. Uh, I think he had what his third back surgery this offseason so hopefully he's healthy and can play because when he plays he's a lot of fun and he's a fantastic pass rusher but that's a bit of a concern the defensive tackles especially with Gallup were out I mean they're among the worst in the NFL I you know I haven't ranked every defensive tackle pairing in the league I think you're comfortable you, saying yeah, that but you look at the depth chart and you're like that is going to be an issue and so the linebacker thing is so weird because you know Jerry Jones I think went on radio and said you know Keanu Neal and uh, Michael Parsons are basically uh, the starters. And it's like, well, what's going on here? You know, is Parsons going to rush the passer on third down? And then Leighton Vanderesh comes in. How does Jalen Smith, who's making a ton of money, uh, factor into this thing? So, uh, you know, individually, like, I like those linebackers. I'm not ripping them. Parsons was really fun in the offseason. I think so much of this is on Dan Quinn. Like, can you be creative in how you use him? Because I think he's one of the most intriguing. He's sort of one of the swing players in the entire league, in my opinion. Because if Michael Parsons is like the defensive rookie of the year and it's like oh my gosh look at what they did with him on this third down and you know he's getting sacks and he's forcing fumbles and he's all over the place then I think this defense has such a higher chance to reach mediocrity than if you're just sort of like all right he's an off-ball linebacker here he's playing well because then I just don't think they have enough pass rush to do much it's just strange because we don't see many teams where linebacker is a strength in one of the deeper parts of their roster in 2021. So how that looks, we just don't have many points of comparison. So if Neil, if you think that they're going to use three linebackers at the same time a decent amount, does that mean they play more base and Neil kind of acts like kind of a third safety in some coverage packages where we've seen yeah. from other teams? That seems a little bit dicey, but I do think the world where it does make sense, it's like you said. Parsons comes down and is a pass rusher in those situations and you bring a Leighton Van Der Esch onto the field. And, but you look at that and I think it kind of opens a door into, well, what does this defense overall look like then? Because we think of Dan Quinn as the Seattle disciple. And if you look at it, the numbers bear that out from 2016 to 2019, the Falcons were 21st in their number of blitz dropbacks last year. They were seventh. They blitzed more last year than the dolphins. And I know that Dan Quinn wasn't necessarily the mastermind behind that defense. Raheem Morris was there. Jeff Ulbrich was helping run that. But did that experience kind of inform what he wants to do this year, where he's going to look at this group and say, we don't have a ton of talent. We need to be creative and aggressive and get after people. And maybe we use Micah Parsons as this queen on the chessboard to help us do that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so funny in the NFL because I feel like teams always overcorrect, right? Like last year at this time, <laughs> what are the, it's like, oh, you know, I don't know, Mike Nolan, it's a little complicated uh, there in Dallas. Are they trying to do too much? And now you bring in Dan Quinn. You're right, maybe, he, you know, I don't like to put guys in a box. Coaches can learn, they adapt based on who they coach with. If we look at his history, this would be a case of, you know, simplify things, let the players play fast play single high, play cover one, play cover three, let, let the guys do their things. I mean, that's just sort of his DNA over the course of his career, aside from what you mentioned there with some changes last year. So if that's the case, it's just like I look at it on paper and those defenses, it's pretty much do you have the players or do you not have the players? And if you're playing those single high coverages, corner is a huge question mark. Safety is a huge question mark for this team. It's just, and the pass rush isn't going to be good enough to rush for and just do those things. So they're going to be a fun, you know, the first like month of the season. I want to see what, what does this look like? What are they doing? What are their tendencies? What are they trying? Because uh, if they sort of do what I would expect them to do, which is what I just described, I just don't think the talent is good enough to be a to be even a mediocre defense this year. 
I think they need to get wonky up front and yeah. be aggressive and send some bodies and, and just try to be it. You know, solve this problem with pressure and just creative solutions rather than just sitting back and playing. Because I agree, they don't have the players to do that. I mean, on the back end, they're really banking on bounce back seasons from guys like Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis, who did not play last well last year under no one, and some development from Trayvon Diggs. They did not make any real big time acquisitions back there. I mean, Malik Hooker is kind of a dice roll that they signed deep into the summer, and he has apparently not played that well in practice after getting there pretty recently. So. It's a question mark. It, it, it is certainly a question mark, I, but I'm totally with you. I cannot wait to see what it actually looks like and how they're going to try to do this. All right. Who is one guy that you cannot wait to watch on the Dallas Cowboys this year? I'm hoping I didn't. I, I did look at your, your picks before. You I can hope pick I the same one. I can. Okay. Because I, I wrote a few names down and I, and I wasn't sure who I stole. I, wrote, I put down Trav- Trayvon Diggs. Uh, for this one, I liked him a lot uh, coming out of college. You know, on paper, he should fit this scheme well, whether they're playing cover three or, or cover one on the outside. I think he improved uh, as last year went along. And so, uh, you know, maybe they have a, a bit of an answer there at cornerback with Diggs. He's my X factor. I, I think okay. that if he can become like a real, you know, above average, like solidly above average corner all the way through this year, that would be big for them. My, mine is Micah Parsons. I mean, I just it seems like he might just be a supernova of talent and the ways they can deploy him. There are some guys when you just watch them out there, they look different and the way that he's built and the way that he moves, he might just be one of those guys who's different. And if they can unleash him in the pass rush game and have him be effective and useful in that way, it really could unlock some things for the rest of that defense. All right. Who's your biggest X factor on the Cowboys? Uh, I would, you know, I think Parsons could, could certainly fit that as well. How about CD lamb? You know, like, like we just mentioned, if this guy just looks like a legit bona fide number one, and you're adding him to Amari Cooper and then Michael Gallup, who's probably underrated at this point, And I think entering a contract year, I mean, if you can just get like mediocre offensive line play, uh, unless your coaching is a complete disaster, that offense is going to cook and be putting up monster yards and be fun to watch. <laughs> I see you're laughing. <laughs> I mean, that caveat may be applicable here, so I think they'll be fine. I honestly think they'll be fine. I think this is one of the cases where the talent is probably going to shine through. All right, let's get to the Washington football team. At the core of this entire thing to me, and this is their offseason, and based on what they did last year, this is about whether the addition of Ryan Fitzpatrick can take this offense from truly the worst in the league to merely decent And it really does seem like that's possible. And if he can, does that make this team a true playoff contender? Yeah, it's sort of the opposite of what we talked with the about with the Cowboys, right? They're like, all right, great offense. Let's get to a mediocre defense here. You feel good about the defense, you know. Maybe they'll be stung with it with by some regression, but you feel good about the defense. Can the offense just get to the mediocre level when, when last year they were just a complete disaster? Like you mentioned, statistically, the worst offense in the NFL started four different quarterbacks. Offensive line uh, wasn't great. Didn't have great weapons. It was really a tough watch on a week-to-week basis. <laughs> I mean, when they came up on the red zone channel, you're like, all right, show me like Chase Young crushing somebody. If not, the I don't first know half of that line. Game. game was real interesting <laughs> that was the first half of the lions game i'll just cling to that that was really yeah. fun so with fitzpatrick it's like i you know when i was just prepping for this i forget you forget like all right, well you don't because you wrote a, a great monster story on him but it's like <laughs> wow 39 years old you know we sort of take that for granted now with like it's his all tom brady's fault because you're like oh 39 all right he's got three like 
at 39, you're you're at like high risk to, you know, things could go sideways, injury risk, all those things. But he's got that unique career where he's played his best football in recent years. And I think if you just look at the past few years, you know, the expectation for me for Fitzpatrick uh, should be sort of middle of the pack quarterback but I think he's like the most fun middle of the pack type guy because there are going to be weeks where if you're a Washington football team fan you're like this guy's the best quarterback in the NFL I mean he just threw for <laughs> four, 428 and four touchdowns and he'll like just carve up a great a great defense you know it's like not even matchup like I swear every time I've covered a game in person that Ryan Fitzpatrick has played he, he's thrown for like 400 yards and four touchdowns so to me he's the most fun uh, type of the sort of middle of the pack quarterback because you're going to have the ups you're gonna have the the highs and the lows but he's not afraid he's gonna throw it into tight windows he's gonna give his receivers chances he's gonna play with energy and so uh, I think they're gonna be certainly more fun to watch and I do think they're going to be improved I'm just uh I'm not sure you know are they gonna get to like the 16th best offense or is it gonna be more like the you know 24th best offense I think it'll probably be somewhere in that range if you look at it from a philosophical level I completely understand why you'd want to bring a guy like that in. You know, he's been a really good influence on younger position groups over the last couple of years, right? You have guys like Devontae Parker and Mike Kosicki having the best seasons of their careers when Ryan Fitzpatrick gets there. I think he's really good for the confidence of young receivers. He's going to give the Yami Brown and Terry McLaurin chances. Like that, that is, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry <laughs> about that. And I think that's a good thing. And if you think about the construction of this offense and what they want to do, this is a Turner offense, baby. I mean, this is Eric Coriel. Let's sling that thing down the field. And now they have a quarterback who can do that. But then you look at on a more granular level. He's been 14th in EPA per play among quarterbacks since 2018. That doesn't seem great, but that's a lot better than what they had last year. Yeah. That is a market improvement. And it's not like he was doing it with all of this help in Miami. He was doing it last year with a team that felt like they needed to go get Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller this offseason. Like, they could not separate against man last year. I mean, a lot of that tight window stuff, I assume, is because people just can't get open. So now, I think his position group right now is much better than the one he's played with over the last couple years. With McLaurin, with Curtis Samuel, if he can be healthy, with De'Ami Brown and Logan Thomas. This is a pretty decent group. Like, that's how you build the optimism here, is that... He is the same guy he was in Miami with even a better supporting cast, and you have this slightly above-average offense. Because I think that the pass catchers are pretty intriguing. Like, Terry McLaurin might be like a top seven, eight receiver, and we just yeah. don't know it yet because he's never had a real quarterback, and now yeah. you have Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think that's exactly at the root of this, is that can he unlock some of the other elements of this offense that we've never truly understood because the quarterback play has been so bad. Yeah, the types of throws he's going to make, that that is going to be very interesting to me because, yeah, the tight window stuff, you know, the last two years, I think he's been in like the top five in percentage of tight window throws. And it's just like, you know, like I said, he, he's not afraid. He'll just let it rip. He'll give his receivers chances. But if you look at Washington, even last year, the um, expected completion percentage, you know, when you look at all the factors mm -hmm. and, you know, what kind of throws are you giving your quarterback? Actually, Haskins, and I think it was Alex Smith, both were in the top five in expected completion percentage. So if you're wow. looking, if you want to be encouraged, you're saying there were throws there to be made. You know, there were completions. It's not like they weren't scheming anything up. It's not like nobody was getting open. They were making some high percentage throws. Just the quarterback play wasn't very good. So if you kind of combine those things, you can talk yourself into this being successful. 
Matt Harmon's reception perception, which is a really cool resource if you're looking at just how successful receivers are in certain situations, had Terry McLaurin with a 90 percentile success rate against press coverage last year. I mean, that guy gets open, and now you have a guy who's going to get him the ball. I'm starting to get a little concerned about Curtis Samuel. You heard his groin in OTAs. He still hasn't practiced yet. They don't seem overly concerned about it, but... When you have a big-time free agent pickup like that with a new quarterback, I'd kind of like to see them play together a little bit. But I really like De'Ami Brown coming out. I know they did too. They expect big things out of Logan Thomas. So it does seem like even with some concerns and a little hesitancy about where Samuel is at this point, they'd still have enough here to be a pretty exciting passing game. Yeah, I, I think, you know, getting back to McLaurin, like, you know, I think one of my uh, long shot uh, bets in the PI, like he could lead the league in receiving yards. I mean, oh, I, I, if, I'm very invested if, in Terry McLaurin in fantasy okay. football. Especially so if, I, yeah, if Samuel doesn't, isn't healthy to start the season, especially, I mean, where's Fitzpatrick going uh, with the ball? So Sam, my, here's my Curtis Samuel theory. Tell me what you think. I think Curtis Samuel tells you what, if you have a good offensive coordinator or not. Uh, how he performs, Ooh. you know, like, uh, like Ooh. last year with Joe Brady, you know, they like unlocked some stuff with him where he played really well and he was being used as a running back, which usually I'm like, all right, this is just an offensive coordinator trying to be too smart. What are you doing? It, it, I was like excited about it with him. You know, he ran for like 200 yards and the thing, Samuel, those previous three seasons, he was like one of the least efficient starters in the NFL. Now, a lot of that, listen, was quarterback play and was stuff outside of his control. But I feel like if you just it like there's probably there might be like five players like this. But if you have Curtis Samuel on your team, depending on how he's used, how he performs, how efficient he is, that tells you sort of, you know, where your offensive coordinator play caller is uh, in sort of the, the range uh, of the NFL. So he put, spent 400 of his about 700 snaps last year in the slot. And that was flipped in 2019, where he was playing about a third of his snaps in the slot. I want to see how that shakes out. Like, I think their most exciting group is Samuel in the slot and McLaurin and Deami Brown outside. Like, Adam Humphreys is fine in a situational role, whatever. I don't know if that's how it's going to shake out, though, based on how much money they gave him, the overall plan. So that's something to watch. I just think that the bodies are there and they're going to have solutions to the problems over the course of the season with the guys they have in the building. The offensive line isn't stellar, but I think it could be okay. Like Leno is a passable starter who never misses games. Like I I understand that he probably wasn't worth what the bears were paying him, but on a a really short-term cheap deal for Washington, I think that he's just a plug-and-play starter. Cosme's going to be raw, raw out of the gate, their second-round pick at right tackle, but he's very talented physically. He's got really good upside. They have multiple options at guard now after trading for Eric Flowers. It's not a stellar group, but I think it's going to be enough for them to kind of stay on the tracks offensively. Yeah, I, I think they're probably just going to be in that mediocre range, which is fine. You know, it's yes. kind of hard. It's sometimes hard to field a mediocre, competent offensive line. Uh, Scherf is probably, you know, he's got the injury history, but if he can stay relatively healthy, uh, I think they'll be okay. I, it's not bad enough where it's going to torpedo their season. It's not good enough where in week six we're going to be saying, wow, Washington's offensive line is just dominating. You know, it's going to be somewhere in between those two things. If they're the 20th best offensive line in the league and you get moderate production out of Antonio Gibson based on what's being the blocking in front of him, yeah. I think that's enough. And, and I do think that they can get there. So the, le- the offense only has to get to league average because we think the defense can carry this team. They finished third in defensive DVOA last season. And when those teams sneak up on you in the way that that Washington defense did, I think you and I, our alarm bells start going off instantly. 
It's like, oh, the regression monster is coming. Like, there's no way that this is going to happen again. Like, do they fall to 12th, 14th? Is there's any way this is sustainable? And when I look at the moves they made this offseason, I'm actually encouraged that they could be pretty damn good again because I think that the ways they tried to improve, the self-awareness that they had to improve in certain areas in order to tweak their overall approach, the expected gains you can hope for from younger guys like Chase Young. I don't know, man. I, I, I've kind of bought into this in a way that I didn't think I would have like back when I was thinking about it in May. Yeah, I'm with you. The, the natural inclination for me is like, all right, you know, all right, where did they get lucky last year? Where are they coming back yes. to the pack? They really do feel like they could be the exception here because usually with those teams, you see like older, you know, it could be a 30 year old who had a great season last year. And you're like, yes. all right, like all their best players are in their early to mid 20s. I mean, their entire <laughs> defensive line is either in their prime or hasn't reached their prime yet. And so the arrow is pointing up. And that obviously is going to be the strength of the entire group. And I also like what they did from a personnel standpoint. I mean, you know, it would have been a red flag if they said, all right, Ronald Darby played well for us last year. Let's go ahead and pay him a monster contract. They didn't do that. They were like, all right, that was probably, you know, we got him on a one year, $3 million deal. It worked out great. Probably not going to happen again. Let's go get someone else. William Jackson, to me, is a more talented, more reliable, better cornerback than Ronald Darby. And I don't even think you can argue against the fact that when they're on the field in week one, their talent's better than their talent last year. I mean, you totally. added William Jackson. Landon Collins comes back, you know, whatever you think of him. I mean, he can certainly play a role as a box safety there. He comes back from an Achilles injury. And then you drafted Jamin Davis uh, in the first round. So those are like, you know, three pieces, three starters who weren't on the team last year. Year and you're bringing pretty much everyone else back there. Uh, I think their position, you know, may, maybe there is a little regression here and there. I don't think they're going to fall outside like the top 10. And I think it's entirely possible that they're again, a top five defense. I think so too. Every addition that you mentioned is, is perfectly right. Does William Jackson allow you to play a little bit more man coverage? Bobby McCain played a ton of man coverage when he was with Miami. Now that he's going to be back there, what does that allow you to do? Benjamin St. Juice, the corner they picked in the third round, who's the longest corner I've ever seen, <laughs> is apparently going to be able to start for them. And his yeah. performance during training camp let, made them comfortable with cutting Jimmy Moreland, which now means you can slide Kendall Fuller back into the slot in three cornerback sets where he's actually more comfortable. So now you potentially get better in two spots. It's just there are so many cascading effects of the players that they added. And that's why I'm excited about it. Now, do you have certain packages where you can use three safeties with Landon Collins, Cam Curl, and Bobby McCain on the field at the same time? Does Jamin Davis give you more athleticism in the middle of your defense? And then the other thing to me is we haven't even seen the best version of this defensive line. Right. Like Chase Young was really exciting last year. He was like 50th in pass rush productivity on PFF on a rate level basis. He was right there with guys like Yitor Gross Matos and Jadevian Clowney. Like there are flashes, but he has not put it all together yet. I mean, that one rush against Isaiah Wynn in the preseason, I don't want to read too much into that. <laughs> but if he can start having a more nuanced plan and stringing moves together with his physical ability, we might see the best version of this guy. And one note that you had that was really interesting in the playbook was that they were very, very good blitzing last year. They had the best EPA per play in the league on blitzes, which you, you'd think, does a team like this need to blitz? But it actually is similar to the thinking that I see from the Steelers from year to year and then what Wade Phillips used to do. It's like, all right, if we have better guys than you, we're going to bring five 
because then we're going to have one-on-ones across the board. They had the best DVOA in the NFL on five-man pressures last year, and I love that approach with this group that they have. So I don't know, man. I'm optimistic. I I think that they can be a really, really good team in part because they did not elect to sit back and say, this group is fine. Let's roll with this again. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty b- bullish on them uh, as well. The, yeah, the blitzing worked worked great last year. I mean, if, if I guess if you want to look at the other side, you could say you know Saint Just is a rookie third round pick. If he's starting for you, you know the, you're probably going to go through uh, some growing pains there. Safety is okay. Safety is not great. So again, everything is just that that defensive line is going to make life easier for everyone else, and and that should still be the case here this year. Let's say he struggles though. There's a world where you can take him off the field, you move Fuller back outside, and maybe you play some combination of McCain and Curl over the slot if you need to. Yeah, that's so true. that's why when you have just these options on the back end, that's what you like to see in this yeah. day and age, like having that flexibility and having those different routes to a tangible secondary is really, really important. All yeah. right. One other question. Where do you stand on Washington football team? Uh, I'm fine with it. I've kind of gotten I like used it. to it. I yeah. actually think that it really works. I, I know they're going to change it. I know they're going to have a name, but I've really come to like the Washington football team aspect of this. I will admit I do get, uh, I, I do still get hung up a little bit when someone just types like WFT and you think they're saying WTF and you're going, <laughs> and it takes me like six seconds. What are they saying? WTF? Oh, okay. Never uh. WFT. But other than that, I'm good. Yeah. I'll stick with it. I actually like it. And I, I like just the aesthetics of it. Like the numbers on the helmet, I think look yeah. great. I wish they would keep it. I know they're not going to. All right. One guy you cannot wait to watch on the temporary Washington football team. Yeah, I think we already we already covered him. We are a we are a pro Terry McLaurin uh, operation. I, I just want to see the guy with some decent quarterback play and especially Bingo. this type of decent quarterback play where it's just like Throw it up. I trust you. I know you're going to be where you're supposed to be. Uh, I'm going to give you opportunities. Uh, I think he's going to be a monster. He was mine as well. I'll go with Chase Young because I can't wait to see what the second act of this guy is. And then you combine that with everyone else they have up front. I mean, Jonathan Allen, who just got a worthwhile, a very deserved extension, one of the cooler interior pass rushers in the entire league. You want to watch a guy who knows exactly how to talk about stringing moves together. I mean, that's what he does. I mean, the way he uses his hands, he's a really, really good interior rusher. Matt Ioannidis is still on this team. You know, Montez Sweat is this fascinating number two. Like he's built like very few guys in the league are. Like if he's your second number two rusher, I think that's his perfect role. The way all these pieces fit together is a really, really good team building plan. All right. Your biggest X factor on the Washington football team. I think it is Chase Young because like if he makes this monster leap, like, you know, we would not be shocked if he had like 12, 13 sacks this year, yeah. right? I mean, he that is within the range of outcomes. Now, all of a sudden, if he's getting like defensive player of the year buzz, uh, then this defense even hits another level and you're making up for other shortcomings and you're a lot tougher to play. So, uh, you know, hate, hate to name the same uh, same talk about the same guys, but listen, those are exciting guys. So uh, I'm going to go with Chase Young. That's that's the most important thing. I think we, we talked about this a little bit. When you look at a defense like this and you have that skepticism about, eh, are they really that good? You want to see them have room to grow. They want, you want to see a defense like that have places to go. And this defense has places to go. Yeah. And that's why I think they're a little bit different than some of these other units. That Because a lot of the time when we have units that take huge steps like this, I think that there are two aspects that typically feed into that. One, 
you have a new play caller that just completely transforms everything. Think about like the Rams offense in 2017, right? McVay gets there. They take this monster leap. But that doesn't change. Like that first year is typically when you see those huge gains. And the other part of it is you sign free agents to have immediate improvement. The Rams are another good example, right? Like you bring Andrew Whitworth in to play left tackle. That just becomes what it is now. Like that's just that's just your left tackle. He's a 35-year-old player. You have a solution there. This group is not that. You know, like they haven't – Jack Del Rio was in his first year there last year. But I think that they have such a young core – that there is a ton of play, very there's a ton of room for this group to grow in a way that we don't typically see with teams that improve that much in a single year. Yeah. All right, my big sex factor is Curtis Samuel. I think, like you said, he's just this wild card on offense. Where what's he? What is his role going to be? What sort of juice does he give this group? You know, can he be a bona fide number two receiver because they paid him like one? What he does for this offense, I think, is definitely worth watching. And obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick is an X factor in any situation. <laughs> right. I don't even think that's worth mentioning. He's the ultimate X factor on any football team. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, let's get to the New York Giants. It's make or break time for Daniel Jones, man. I Do you know that the Giants are fifth in the percentage of their cap spending on offense? Oh this year, gosh. fifth. That that is unbelievable. I did not fifth. know that. Fifth. That's embarrassing. That, that is with <laughs> Daniel Jones making seven million dollars, and Kenny Galladay is on like a hugely backloaded deal. Like he's making pennies this year compared to what he's going to make over the next couple years, and they're still fifth in offensive spending. Like it is. It's time. Like they need to do this right now. How are you fifth with a quarterback on a rookie contract? That's amazing. <laughs> the Browns are first. Oh my gosh! Unbelievable. <laughs> I, right. as an overall team building strategy, I completely understand it. Right? Sure. You, sure. Like, let's give this guy every single chance to succeed. I applaud it with the Browns. So I don't want to make fun of the Giants for the same strategy. But the Browns were a top ten offense last year. I don't know if you know this. The Giants were not a top ten offense last year. I don't see it with this offense. I mean, I hate to just crush him off the bat here, but you know, <laughs> let's go for it, buddy. Let listen, it happen. Listen, make or break time. I, I'm not like a. I'm not a huge Daniel Jones fan. You know, I'm not going to come out, come on here and say he's. But like, look at the situation. I mean, he has a bottom five play caller in Jason Garrett. I mean, maybe if you, you know, bottom if, five. Listen, just if you, it rip out I here. I mean, if you love Jason Garrett, you could go to like bottom seven. I guess. I mean, I don't know anybody uh, who would go who would go 
higher than that, you know, show no ability to ma- I mean, look, think about like the offensive schemers you guys talk about on this show on a weekly basis and the edge that they're giving their players and what they're doing to maximize the talent at their disposal, even when they don't have great rosters. And then look at what, you know, Jason Garrett is doing. I mean, this is going to be probably a, a run heavy attack. Uh, and you just never, like, I don't remember a single play last year or a, you know, I listened to your guys' Monday show. I don't remember a single Monday where you're saying, wow, Jason, do you see what Jason Garrett did on that third and seven in the way? No, yeah, I mean, it, 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 maybe it exists. Again, I'm not, I don't want to be mean, overly mean here to Jason Garrett. But so if you're Daniel Jones, you're dealing with that. You're dealing with an offensive line that was one of the worst in the NFL last year. And they basically were just like, oh, we're good. You know, we'll just basically that's what they did. They said, no, we're good. (laughs) That's what they did. So we'll coach up the young guys. They'll be okay. And so if you're starting, you know, if you're a quarterback and you're starting from that point of play caller giving you no edge. Offensive line, one of the worst in the NFL, like, you know, the the fancy headline grabbing Kenny Galladay, Kadarius, Tony type signings like it just might not do much for you. You might not be in position to succeed. And then if you look at Jones, I mean, he's fumbled more than any player in the NFL over the last two seasons. So fumble prone quarterback, offensive schemer gives you nothing bottom five offensive line. I mean, how is this, how is this offense going to make this big turnaround and all of a sudden even be like a top 15 offense this year? I don't, uh, I just don't see it at all with them. Are you taking the other side? You want me to make the case? For <laughs> I, listen, I'm not taking the other side, but just for the interest of compelling podcasting, I'm going to, I'm going to make the case for the giants offense here. Okay? You know what? I, th- I think I actually had to do this last year. I'm getting like a flashback. I'm, you know, I remember I, th- I, I'm not going to go back and listen, but I believe I had to like make the case for Jason Garrett, not being bad, but sorry, go ahead. Well, that that I'm not going, that I'm not going okay. to do. This is, this is rooted in the offensive personnel. Okay. It is easy to get excited about the skill guys as a group, right? Like Kenny Galladay is a good player. He is a very good receiver, and I think that he has a specific skill set that fits within this, this offense that other guys don't have. If you have him as that big outside ball winner as your true X receiver, you have Slayton as your very effective field stretcher. I think as a role player, he's exciting. I like him. Yeah. Now, you can move Sterling Shepard back into the slot, which is his natural habitat. He looked really good this summer. I was at one practice, one Giants practice against the Browns. He looked excellent. I mean, he even stood out in a training camp practice the one day that I was there. And then whatever you get from Kadarius Toney, right? Like He hasn't practiced for most of the summer. He's a luxury at this point. Taking luxury wide receivers in the first round is a a compelling team-building strategy, but that's a different story. But I think you can get excited about the receiving group. And then, I mean, then whatever Evan Ingram is going to give you, that's, again, just kind of a bonus. Stat that I love from the Football Outsiders Almanac. I'm going to say it again. If you guys have not gotten the Football Outsiders Almanac, you absolutely should. Right? You should read it every year. It is packed with good stuff. Daniel Jones was had the third lowest yards per attempt in the NFL last year on passes of five or fewer air yards. The gimmies were not there within this offense. Now you get Saquon Barkley back. You get Kadarius Toney as a gimmick piece, whatever you want to make him. Do they give Daniel Jones more layups? So the combination of this group, this pass-catching group that you can see it, it fits together, and more layups for your quarterback who desperately needs layups, he's the quarterback that really needs them, does that work? That is my argument. You, you see I did not mention the offensive line. <laughs> Well, you know, Kadarius Tony is right in that Curtis Samuel category for me. Like, that's going to tell you what your offensive coordinator is. You know what? If Kadarius Tony was drafted by the Saints or the Chiefs 
or the Ray. I mean, you know, we could 49er, like we could name the teams where you'd be like, okay, I could get excited about this guy. I mean, how am I supposed to be excited about how the Giants are going to use Kadarius Tony? I mean, that to me is spelling disaster uh, right away. I, I would be shocked if we were eight weeks into the season saying, man, Kadarius Tony, surprise uh, rookie here. Look at the ways they're using him. Oh, did you see how they schemed up to get Kadarius Tony the ball in open space? I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. If they surprise me, if the play calling, if the scheming is different this year, uh, I will admit it once it happens. But that is like wait and see uh, territory for me. So it's it's a it's such a frustrating team because like you know with Daniel Jones, like if he was with one of these offensive coaches who I really liked, like I would want to see that. You know, it's sort of like the Jameis Winston going to New Orleans thing this year. Like like if that it's were a, a scenario. Comparison. With Daniel Jones, I would be kind of, you know, I would not be just like crushing him and totally out on him. I mean, the good plays, you can see the good plays. You saw more of them, I think, two years ago than last year. And you're like, okay, there's something there. He's got physical tools. He's a really fun runner uh, when they use him in that way. He's got the arm. I, I think he's aggressive. He's not He's not um, afraid to make tight window throws or push the ball downfield. Just the situation, like I don't view this as that they've done, you know, it's not like the Bills last year with Josh Allen, right, where you go in the season and you say they've done everything in their power to put this guy in position to succeed let's see if he can do it or not like I just don't see it I think there are factors working against Jones and I'm not that high on him to begin with so it's just hard for me to uh, to envision that ceiling I could talk myself into the pass catchers and you cannot talk yourself into the offensive line I mean it's yeah. really really difficult to do it because the plan they had coming into the season was can we see some growth from the guys we drafted last year. Like Andrew Thomas was a top five pick. Matt Pert was a developmental guy we drafted in the third round who was forced into action. Can he take a step forward? The answer has apparently been no with Pert because Nate Solder started the final preseason game. That is not how they wanted this to shake out. Andrew Thomas has not looked very good. They're on their third offensive line coach in the past 18 months. They made no effort to improve this unit before August. They didn't sign anybody. They didn't draft anybody. And I understand wanting to bet on your in-house development, but now you're making panic trade, not panic trades. You're making trades with urgency for Billy Price on on cut down day because you're starting to feel a little bit antsy about the group you have there. Their starting left guard has a partially torn patellar tendon. Like it just, it's September 1st. (laughs) This is not a good situation. And it's not like it was okay last year. Daniel Jones was pressured on 40.3% of his dropbacks. It was the third highest rate in the league after the two Jets guys. Like, this is a really big problem. Yeah. And that's not holding the ball too long. I mean, if you look at the the pass block win rate stuff, I think they were 32nd. They were last in the NFL. So this is one where you can look at any metric. The offensive line was bad. Unless just young players make a monumental leap, unless the coaching is spectacular and the uh, whole is greater than the sum of the parts, uh, it's really hard to talk yourself into this group. All right. Well, I like the defense. Can we can we do that? Can we, can we get there? Because we've talked about the defense a lot on this podcast this summer, and I think they can be pretty good. As you were looking at this group, as you're putting the playbook together, what was the most interesting takeaway that you had? Well, so I have two sort of conflict, conflicting thoughts with this defense. One is, Ooh, okay, 
yeah, one is that uh, let's start with the good since I just feel like I was just crushing them for like eight minutes straight or whatever it was on the offense. Uh, I think the Patrick Graham love is warranted. You know, I, I really like that. Um, we, we talk about which coaches can do more with less. I thought he did do more with less last year. I thought he wasn't stubborn. I thought he adapted. I think we all went into the season probably saying, all right, they're going to be a man heavy team. They were not. They adjusted. They played zone. They had special game plans. I think that Seahawks game stands out in everyone's mind. So uh, I'm pro Patrick Graham. At the same time, I think the defense overall was probably overrated last year. I mean, they were 19th in defensive DVOA. They were third in the NFC East. I mean, the Eagles had a better statistically <laughs> defense than them. We know Washington did. Like, I've never heard a defense that finished 19th get as much love uh, as the Giants. And I don't think it's Graham's fault. So to push it ahead to this year, uh, I don't know that, like, they have some interesting pieces. Leonard Williams, great player. Uh, James Bradbury was fantastic last year. You look around, just again, this goes back to the team building. Like I see holes, I see okay players, I see competent players. I almost feel like Patrick Graham's going to have to follow that New England model of, you know, like we j just said, maximizing the talent, putting guys in position to succeed, relying on the scheme to uh, get to the to get to the quarterback edge rusher. I mean, you know, I I really liked Aziz Ojolari coming out of college, but man, if that's the guy you're counting on to be your number one edge rusher that's a question for me so um i think they can make a mini leap uh if listen if, if they make a huge leap this year with this talent and we're like this is a top eight top 10 defense then like patrick graham you know maybe just like a special defensive mind who should probably be a head coach next year because i do think given the you know it's not a huge talent upgrade by any means i think that's what it would take would be exemplar uh exemplary coaching I believe they can be a top 10 defense. I okay. think that's right around where they would top out. It's like right around 10th or so. And I think that's possible. If you look at it, there weren't a ton of additions, but Xavier McKinney did not really play for this team last year. He was hurt for almost the entire season. They get him back now for the full year. You bring in a Dory Jackson. They played 25 more cover two snaps than any other team in the league last season. It was 247 snaps. It was about a quarter of their of total plays. You do that to hide your corners. And now you have a thousand snaps from Isaac Yadam and Darnay Holmes that may disappear because you have a Dory Jackson. Even if you don't love a Dory Jackson, he's better than what they had last year. You bring in McKinney now for the entire season. So you have these three safety sets or whatever you want to call Logan Ryan, whether he's your slot corner or whatever. So your five starting defensive backs are hopefully James Bradbury, Dory Jackson on the other side, Logan Ryan, Xavier McKinney, and Jabril Peppers. I can live with that. I think that's a pretty solid group. Julian Love is key depth. He can fill in a bunch of different places. Can you use that as the centerpiece of your off of your defense and then figure out whatever your fronts are going to look like in front of it? And that's, to me, the big question is can they figure out creative ways to get pressure? How are they going to use Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence to kind of eat up bodies up front? I think that front mechanics are going to be a huge story with defenses here as people steal the Staley stuff and we see the rise of that. And I think the Giants have already started to implement a lot of those ideas, and I'm curious how they can expand on that this year. So if they play a little bit more man, they were 32.4% man on third down last year. It was the 28th rate in the league. Brett, Patrick Graham has been open about needing to do that a little bit more. So with some improvements in the secondary, some improved health in the secondary, and just some changing dials with the way that they play, can they go from 19th to 10th? I think that they can. Yeah, the health is a huge factor. I mean, my issue with them, with some of these guys we're talking about, Adoree Jackson, uh, Kenny Galladay, it's just from a team-building perspective. You know, I thought Adoree Jackson would have been a great buy-low candidate 
for a team. You know, talented guy, young guy. He's coming off an injury. Maybe you get him for cheap and he comes. But like they're, they pay premium prices for all these guys. Yeah. I mean, $13 million a year for a He's missed 18 games over the last two seasons. So I'm with you. If he can play, that could be a huge upgrade. But like, I don't know, history tells us he's probably, you know, he, he may not be healthy for the entire season. I think Darnay Holmes is still going to start the season. I think Dan Duggan was was writing on The Athletic that he may start the season as their uh, starting slot corner. And so now, you know, uh, Dory Jackson already is dealing with a sprained ankle. So, so I mean, uh, some health, we know injury stuff, it's luck. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, well, I'm not crushing a guy for getting injured. I know they play through all sorts of things. But just when you're looking at it from a team building perspective, that's my issue with the Giants. I'm excited about those safeties. I like McKinney a lot coming out of college. I want to see him for a full season, specifically with a coach who may have like this ability to unlock players. I mean, Leonard Williams was not the, like last year, that was the first time we saw that version really of Leonard Williams. And so you, you can have some hope if you're a Giants fan that, hey, maybe Graham can just unlock some of these really talented players. The price point is a very, very good one. Because even if you can get excited about the players themselves, they have paid full freight for all of these guys. If yeah. you look at their cap space next year, I mean, they only have like like $7 million in cap space <laughs> based on where the projected cap is going to go. Because even if Kenny Galladay's cap hit this year is not very high, it is astronomical next year. And all those guys, I mean, it's 21.1 million next year. James Bradbury is at 20.5. Leonard Williams is at 26.5. So they're, it's going to get expensive really quickly. The big thing to me is they have the Bears' first-round pick. If the Bears are truly terrible, what does that mean for the Giants? Can they have like a top-seven pick if the Bears bottom out this year? And what does that mean for their future quarterback plans? Because if you only have $7 million in cap space and there's a world where you're done with Daniel Jones and Aaron Rodgers wants out, if Russell Wilson wants out, if we see this quarterback carousel rotate again, you don't have a lot of wiggle room financially to add one of those guys. Would you be able to draft someone? Because I do think that there are interesting pieces here. I think that we may be six months away from saying, can we swap out the offensive coordinator and the quarterback? And what avenues do we have to do that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can talk yourself into if you get a, a different offensive coordinator, a couple upgrades on the offensive line, then you are talking about a situation where the quarterback might be really well positioned to succeed. And just last thing, the Leonard Williams point is a great one, right? I mean, if you're looking at it on paper, man, this couldn't have worked out better. The guy was fantastic last year. Look at the path they kind of had to take to get him here, right? They traded yeah. two picks midseason for a guy who was going to be a free agent. So you're losing resources there. And now to keep him, you only keep him for three years where he's a guy in his, what, mid-20s. You can't get more than three years. And you're paying him at the top of the market $21 million per year. So they just, the the like, the knowledge of how to use resource allocation to me is just their biggest issue, um, no doubt about it. I, I totally agree with that. And again, it's easy at this stage to look at the depth chart and get excited about it. But I think that taking into account the long-term big picture plan is really important. And I, I, I totally agree. All right. One guy you cannot wait to watch on the Giants this year. We, I don't even think we mentioned him, which I guess it's Saquon Barkley. Maybe, maybe we did mention him briefly. You know, I, I know the whole running backs things, and and we I just mentioned the resources I think I did thing. mention him in the layups oh, for did. Daniel Jones. Okay. Yes, you did. You did. You did mention him. Uh, he is fun. He's still so fun to watch. I mean, I want him to be healthy. Um, I don't, you know, just when the ball's in his hands, even his rookie season where it was kind of like hit or miss or home run hitter or stop behind the line of scrimmage. He's a guy, you know, we did the red zone channel like test earlier, but like if 
you go to a Giants game and it's like, say, you know, Saquon, you hear Saquon Barkley. All right. You're like, OK, uh, you have my attention. Let's see what he did here. So uh, I do want to see him healthy and see what he does. My Xavier McKinney. I want to see him play all year. Uh, what can he do for them? What sort of flexibility does he give them on the back end? I just think he's such a cool modern safety and I'm really excited to see him for an entire season. All right. Biggest X factor on the Giants for you. I think it's Aziz Ojolari. I mean, I really liked him as a prospect. I hope he stays healthy and plays well. The fact that he dropped to the 50th pick tells you there are probably some concerns uh, about his knee. But man, even, even if it's not the longest career in the world, or maybe he's not playing 70% of the snaps, uh, it would be really exciting for and huge for their defense if he could come in and be a quality starter right away. I want to see how they use him. You know, do they use him on a lot of twists in games? Do they use those interior guys as those kind of bowling ball, just wrecking balls in there where they're just, there's tons of different games and stunts. And I want to see how they solve the pass rush and how Aziz Ojolari fits into that plan because he's bendy, like he has a ton of length. How are they going to weaponize that? That group to me is intriguing. I know there are question marks about it, but I think it can be okay. Mine is Andrew Thomas. Like, you can't upgrade a left tackle spot where you picked a guy fourth overall. You just need him to be better. And that's the thing. Like, if there are no gains from a guy you drafted in the top five, there isn't much else you can do at your left tackle spot. They need him to be at least okay, at least like an average left tackle. And he was struggling again in the preseason. I mean, yeah. it is – it's a frustrating – if I were the Giants fan, it would just be such a frustrating situation watching everything that's going on with them up front. Yeah. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. Let's get to the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that the Eagles are one of the teams, maybe the team I've talked about the least this offseason on this show. Them and maybe the Texans. And I think it's for a pretty simple reason. I don't know what to make of the Eagles. Like, I don't know what the Eagles are. I don't know what the Eagles want to be. And that makes it hard to discuss them. And I'm you spent a ton of time thinking about, talking about, studying this team. What do you think the Eagles want to be in 2021? Uh, I mean, really, this season is about buying time for next offseason. I think that's the reason you haven't, you <laughs> I'm, know. I'm so glad that that's not yeah. wrong. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's that's why it's sort of been hard to talk about this year is because everything they've done this offseason is to say, hey, let's put ourselves in position to land a quarterback next offseason. They trade down in the draft. They get draft capital for uh, Carson Wentz. They don't go out and make a big splash at quarterback uh, this offseason. So I think really the mindset of this team is, hey, let's, you know, we'll throw Jalen Hurts out there. We don't really expect him to be great. Uh, if he is, you know, that'll be a great, pro- you know, that, that'll be a great outcome and we can figure it out after the season how to build around him but if he's uh, mediocre to below average well we're probably going to be uh, taking a big swing on a quarterback next offseason with our draft capital so with Hertz you know I, I think the uh, I, I think like uh, his personality his leadership has been uh, you know really welcome in the Eagles locker room I think teammates really like him how he goes about his business how he's not really shining a spotlight on himself how he's sort of you know taking every practice seriously like I think his sort of demeanor and uh, whether it's the the Alabama roots or, or whatever it is with with Saban but he's just like all business and sort of talks in these slogans at times where you're like wait a minute is this a front or is this who he is but it's te- you know his teammates will just say like on the bus like he'll just say something like I'm in the mode today and put on his headphones like Jalen Rager said and then Rager's like and we're like well what did he mean by that and Rager's like I don't know he just put on his headphones before like joint practices so um you know I, I think that's just kind of the the big picture takeaway with this team I mean a lot of their best players are 30 years and, and older the young players you want to see them develop and see what they have and what position they're in when they do probably take a big swing on a quarterback next season or if hurt surprises like I said that would be fun also what are you expecting this group to look like offensively, just in terms of approach? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think if they're, so so Nick Sirianni has been big on, hey, we're going to, I don't have a system, I don't have a scheme, I build around my players, which of course every coach says, and like 10% of the coaches actually are able to do that. But if you are able to do that, you have to have Hurts as a major part of the run game. Now, the practices I'm at, you did see that. Certainly a lot of the run schemes, whether it was uh, design quarterback runs, option stuff, RPOs, that was all uh, certainly on display. I don't think that would surprise anyone, but he is a talented runner. I mean, it was a small sample last year but the running numbers were really encouraging and really their strength could be on their offensive line if they stay healthy and that's a big if because they do have some older guys there but the offensive line could be really good and you combine that with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders and to me it should be hey let's have a, a really creative run game that's really efficient and then let's let's take shots uh, downfield with, with some of these receivers Jalen Hurts Jalen Hurts was not afraid to push the ball downfield last year play action get him out of the pocket, let him make those second reaction plays. That to me is what it should look like. Now, if you look at Sirianni's background and coming, you know, he was with Frank Reich um, and then he was with the Chargers before. That's not really what it's looked like, right? It's been more, hey, let's move the chains. Let's be efficient. Let's work the intermediate part of the field. Uh, That type of offense. So I think we'll learn a lot about, you know, is he really willing to adapt this offense to his personnel or does, is he set on some of these offensive principles? Like after the first month of the season, we should probably have a good handle on that so the offensive line should be a strength and i know that they are yeah. older I, I, you said three of their five, five stars are 31 years or older or four of their five stars are 31 years or older it would be uh i don't know if they're 31 but certainly in their 30s lane johnson uh three uh, lane johnson jason kelsey brandon brooks three of them yeah so th- yeah. yeah those guys obviously getting up there and those yeah. have struggled to stay healthy i mean brooks has missed years full full seasons and then yeah. lane johnson I mean, foot problems consistently, but it does feel like they're insulated pretty well from injury. The fact that Andre Dillard is now your swing tackle, you can live with that. If he needs to play in spot duty because Jordan Malata won that left tackle job, 
that's fine. He's a decent third tackle to have. They drafted Landon Dickerson. They just activated him. So they have some interior depth that eventually is going to become a starter. So you'd hope that that group is a strength, even if they get bitten by the injury bug a little bit. My question is, how is this receiving group going to piece together? Because the skill sets are just, I don't understand how they fit. You have three guys who are shorter than six foot and weigh less than 200 pounds. And that can work, right? You look at the Bills. I mean, that group is not big, and it really speaks to how much separation matters. But even that group, the skill sets are more diversified than this trio that the Eagles have with Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, and Quez Watkins. So what do you think of about how those pieces fit and the roles those guys are going to play? Yeah, you know, the, you're right. It's not like, hey, this is this looks like the slot receiver. This looks like the X. This looks like the Z. Like, it sort of remains to be seen. You know, Quez Watkins is a guy who sort of burst onto the scene this summer. I think he's going to be one of their top three wide receivers. And he was a speed guy coming out of college. But if you watch him, like what he did this summer, like it looks like there's a little bit more to his game than that. I mean, he was separating okay. in those joint practices. He, it wasn't just everything down the field. Devontae Smith, we know, can do a lot of different things for you. Jalen Baker is sort of the key guy. You know, it was funny because they drafted him and, you know, full disclosure, I was really high on Jalen Rager coming out of college, but they, one of the reasons why they took him over Justin Jefferson supposedly was because they thought Rager could be an outside guy and maybe Jefferson was more of a slot guy. Well, we saw that wasn't the case last year. And now you're looking at it at year two and is Rager going to be that slot guy, you know, he sort of got like a toughness to him. He can do some of the gadgety stuff in college. I thought he did a good job of making people miss with the ball in his hand. Or is Quez Watkins going to get shots in there? Are they just going to be rotating who the slot receiver is going to be? So I think those are going to be the three guys in terms of how they fit together. I just sort of talked for two minutes and didn't like give you any kind of <laughs> answer on that because I have no idea uh, how they're going to fit together. There's not sort of clear uh, defined roles for those those three guys, to be quite honest. Some to watch. I mean, obviously, a yeah. lot of investment with two first-round picks, and then Watkins is just this surprise, intriguing aspect to it all. So I, it, I don't think there needs to be an answer right now. But just when I'm thinking about it, it seems like I don't know a lot of not a lot of overlapping skill sets, mostly with Rager and with Quez Watkins. I mean, obviously, Devontae Smith is a number one receiver. That's what they expect him to be. Yeah. All right, going to the defense, they bring in Jonathan Gannon as their defensive coordinator, who's the Colts' DBs coach for the last few years. You expect a pretty zone-heavy approach, right? Colts were 73.3% zone last year, one of the zone-heaviest teams in the league. They were second in the NFL and covered three snaps. Do you expect it to be that sort of approach from Gannon based on what we saw in Indy over the last couple of years? His background's pretty interesting. You know, one of his press conferences, the Rams were the team he – uh, reference where he's like, you know, if you look at the defenses around the league, they're the team that sort of did the most. And so that kind of caught my uh, attention. Obviously, you guys have talked about that and you've written about that at length. And then if you look at his background, you know, he was with the Colts, but prior to that, uh, he was with the Vikings and Mike Zimmer. So like, you know, that's like a pretty good background to to be with for a um, young coach. So yeah, I do think they're probably going to be uh, a little bit more zone heavy, which is interesting when you look at the personnel because they went out and they traded for Darius Slay last offseason because they wanted to be able to play more man coverage. So, um, you know, we'll see how, how that fits. Steven Nelson, the other corner, certainly can play in, in zone heavy schemes. But uh, yeah, I think some of the front stuff is definitely going to be way more uh, creative and different than what they had with Jim Schwartz. This is not just wide nine, line up with four, pin your ears back and get after the passer. They're asking their defensive line uh, to do different things. And 
and their defensive line, if there's one revelation for me for the Eagles this offseason, like I, I, it really could be a special group. I mean, when you look at the blend of veterans and young players they have, so you have guys like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, who are obviously not in their primes, but Brandon Graham had one of the best years of his career last season. And then the younger guys like Josh Sweat certainly is a breakout candidate. He was terrific last year. He's entering a contract season. Derek Barnett, I think, is still 24, 25 years old. Javon Har- Hargrave. What? Yeah. Yeah. Barnett came into the league at like 20 or 21 or something. So he's still he's still very young. Javon Hargrave was injured to start last season. He was like a non-factor the first half of last season. He's had a great training camp and came on the second half of last year. They signed Ryan Kerrigan, who's not a great player, but as a rotational pass rusher. So they go like, you know, five, six, seven deep here with this defensive line. And if they're able to unlock some things with those younger players, uh, I think their defensive line could be really good. Derek Barnett just turned 25 in June. Just turned 25. <laughs> Shield, this might surprise you. The Eagles are number one in the NFL in defensive line spending. It's probably been that case for what, the last 15 <laughs> years, I feel like. Yeah. $47.7 million Ooh, on the 2021 cap. Yeah. Account. But I, I totally agree with you. And the way they deploy those guys is worth watching. What it looks like on the back end, you mentioned the man zone stuff. If you and you mentioned the Zimmer background, they brought in Anthony Harris, who clearly has history in the Zimmer scheme with his time in Philadelphia or his time in Minnesota. Now that you have Harris and McLeod as your two safeties, that's a different combination than Harris and Jalen Mills, right? Where Mills had played that kind of box role, it's defined. They played a lot of cover three and single high when they were in zone. Do you see more quarters, two high shell looks with those two guys because the safety is a little bit more interchangeable? I think that makes sense. And yeah. we saw with the Rams last year, even though they're a zone heavy team. If you're locking that backside, quarters or cover That's three, point. you can use man traits corners in that role. Do they think that Darius Slay can do that? So how the back and front are connected, they have talent on this team. Like I think the defense actually might be okay. They could be a little frisky. Yeah, I could see them having get, you know, especially uh, to me, I sort of feel like they're a defense to watch in the second half of the season. I guess it's sort of similar to the Giants last year. Like there are a lot. I mean, these are a lot of changes. This isn't just like little tweaks. I mean, the fronts, you mentioned it. I think, uh, you know, absolutely. You're going to see way more uh, too high looks uh, in this defense. You're going to see a lot more pre-snap disguise than you did last year. You're going to see different looks up front. You're probably going to blitz more uh, than you did last year. So I think there's going to be an... um, an adjustment period, an acclimation period, certainly in the first, you know, four or six weeks of the season where all of a sudden you reach November and you're saying, oh, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're doing some interesting things and some of these younger players are uh, coming around. So uh, I'm excited to watch what their defense looks like just because it is going to be so different than what it's been in the past. You don't get super excited about guys like Anthony Harris or Steven Nelson, but we talk about the Giants paying top of market money for these guys they paid right. nothing for those two guys yeah. and i know that at that stage at this stage of their careers maybe that makes sense but they're still starting caliber nfl players that you're just using to plug holes on this defense when you have strengths elsewhere so i think yeah. that they could be pretty good like going that was one of this entire exercise that we've done we've done every single team and all of these divisions the eagles defense and, and their path to being better than i thought is one of the more surprising out like takeaways I've had from any of the teams I've studied here over the last two weeks. Because I feel like it could be pretty good. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I think there is sort of a, a higher ceiling than I probably thought, you know, four or five uh, months ago. And, and like you mentioned, Steven Nelson, Anthony Harris, these aren't long-term fixes, but you're looking at 2021, how to implement the scheme, competent, professional uh, players. You know, those guys certainly fit the bill. They're not going to be disasters. Uh, they should be pretty good for you for one-year one rentals, I guess. All right. One guy you cannot wait to watch this year on the Eagles. Uh, Devonte Smith, you know, I, I loved him. Not that that's not a controversial or a uh, unpopular take. Loved him coming out of college. Thought he was the right pick for them. I thought this summer it was as advertised. Uh, I think he's going to be really fun to watch right away. I cannot wait to watch him. I mean, I think that's the only answer. Like I loved watching him in college. It just there's no one like him. I mean, that's was part of the hesitancy before the draft about whether he was worth that sort of pick because he was such a physical outlier. But I think that's why he's so compelling. Because there's just no one that moves like he does. He's such a unique player. I really cannot wait to watch him on this level. Biggest X factor for you with the Eagles? I think Jalen Rager. You know, they they just like you sort of throw last year out the window. You had all these different uh, offensive coaches and coordinators. You had terrible quarterback play. You started 11 different offensive linemen. Can you just throw that on the, out the window? Say fresh start. Nick Sirianni has that background as a wide receivers coach uh, from his time with the Chargers. So you figure if there's anybody who can maximize the talent with a guy like Jalen Rager, it should be Sirianni. They really need him to be a quality competent. I know that the expectations have lowered, but if he's a quality competent number two wide receiver uh, after this season, I think you're probably pretty happy with that as an outcome i think that's a great one mine is nick sirianni i just don't know what to expect yeah. I, I, just, I just really don't know what to expect and this team is again one of the bigger mysteries to me in the entire league I, there's so many different ways this could go and i really don't know <laughs> which of them is going to unfold all right who are you picking to win the nfc east uh, reluctantly going with the Cowboys. I think at 10 and seven, I think it's going to be bunched up. I think it's going to be mid December. We don't know who's going to win this division, but, uh, when it comes down to it, I look at quarterback and offense and I just feel like they have a pretty big edge against every team in the division there. I'm going with Washington. I, okay. I, I do think the Cowboys are going to be a borderline playoff team. I buy into this Washington plan. I really do. I don't know what 2022 is going to look like. I don't know where their step from marginal playoff team to contender happens and how it happens. But that step to playoff team, I think is real this year based on the moves that they've made. But I do think Dallas is right there. All right, guys, please go check out Shields playbook on the athletic. It, it was absolutely worth reading before the season starts. So much great information in there. Please go listen to birds with friends. If you're an Eagles fan, if you don't, I can't believe that you don't already or that you wouldn't or that you are already listening. So what else are you working on that, that people should be looking out for this week? I think most of the preview stuff is uh, already out there, ranking all the offenses, ranking all the defenses, some bold predictions for every team. So that's all out there on The Athletic. And then, of course, you know, The Athletic Football Show uh, plug here combines with what I'm writing for this week, and that's week one picks against the spread. I got to get my uh, picks in. I'll do a picks column every week that'll go up on Thursday, and then I'll join you guys to get uh, made fun of and mocked when the picks go horribly wrong with Nate. So I'm looking forward to that every Friday. Every Friday. Sheila and Nate making gambling picks. We're going to start this Friday with some awards. We're going to pick our favorites, some long shots. So excited to get into that. So excited to do that every week with you, buddy. Appreciate you taking the time to do this. Appreciate you guys listening. Please go rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I sincerely appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. Today is Tuesday. I'm going to be writing twice this week. I don't know when it's going to come out, but be on the lookout for that kind of stuff. Very excited about both of those stories. 
Until then, appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back tomorrow doing the AFC South with Lindsey Jones. We only have two more divisions left, which is hard to believe. The season is upon us. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.